Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well, losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash I do. That's ro.co slash I D O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real. Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do for an exclusive 35% off because every mom deserves a good night's sleep. And with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. What's going on, guys? Welcome to I Do Podcast, where we interview the world's leading relationship, marriage, dating, and self-help experts. 
Whether you're dating, single, married, or struggling in a relationship, you're in the right place. We're here to help give you the tools to succeed. And on today's episode, we welcome author and writer Stephen Marsh. And Stephen has a book that just came out, and it's pretty interesting. It's called The Unmade Bed. And Stephen's a bit of a, I guess, a a cultural commentator. And The Unmade Bed is a commentary on the state of the male-female relationship and it covers everything from marriage to in the workplace and it's it's an interesting read i got through a little over half of it and we talk about a lot of the themes and topics of the book in today's episode and some of those are how women are the driving force in successful economies and where in in countries where women make more those economies are better and how this all kind of relates to the modern relationship and he talks about how we're in the middle of a great transition in the male-female relationship, in the rise of marriage in Western societies, and how all of these things have an effect on our relationships because we are a product of the cultures we live in. So if you're listening to this in most Western cultures, then this is for you. If you are listening in maybe a traditional place like, I don't know, a tribe in the Amazon, you are probably not broadcasting podcasts. (laughs) And so you're not listening to this, or if you are, you're changing this to find something else. So it's it's more of a commentary on Western cultures, but it's really interesting, and Stephen has a unique perspective. He has written for Esquire for the last five years and has pieces in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the New Republic, and he is the author of four books. So definitely a kind of a different episode, but a lot of unique information and a unique perspective from Stephen on gender norms in modern society. And I think you will find a lot of interesting things in today's episode. As always, we appreciate you guys listening. You can subscribe to the podcast and support us that way. You can leave us a review on iTunes, tell your friends, send your feedback, email us, visit our website, idopodcast.com. And Sarah and I appreciate you so much. Enjoy today's episode. Support for I Do Podcast comes from Talkspace, the online therapy company that believes that therapy should be affordable, confidential, and convenient. Join over 500,000 people who have used Talkspace for online therapy with their licensed therapist. Get $30 off your first month by visiting Talkspace.com forward slash I do. That's one word, I-D-O. That's Talkspace.com forward slash I do. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. We've given our listeners a little overview, so why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy writing about and helping people with their relationships. Well, um, you know, I, I'm i not sure I help people with their relationships. I try and help my own relationship, more or less. I mean, I'm just fascinated by 
the shift that we're going through in gender norms, which I think is pretty revolutionary and which we kind of don't pay a lot of attention to. And so my book, The Unmade Bed, is a, is a kind of attempt to get at um, what is changing and how we're dealing with the changes and what what they mean and where they're going. Because I think most of the debate that we see, especially online, is sort of overwhelmed by outrage and anger or um, or sort of you know, we're just, we just are naturally have prejudices about these things. And like when you look at the data and you look at what is actually happening, it can be quite clarifying. It can be quite, you know, like things are happening that we don't really understand. It's really interesting. And especially with modern media, technology, everything is changing so fast. So these like kind of monumental cultural shifts is what is what it kind of is yeah uh seem to be happening maybe at the same speed as they've always happened but now we're just much more aware of it yeah i think it's more it's also things like it's i i think it's actually like we notice that stuff right like you notice things like the rise of internet pornography like that's just part that's just something you see but to me it's more interesting that like um for example like you know, I was there at the birth of both of my children. I was at, I was in the room when that happened. So that would not have happened in Western culture at any point in the previous 5,000 years. And that has, you know, I pre, like my father was too, but before then, like before 50 years ago, that never would have happened in the whole history of the world. And I think that's like the changes that are involved in that are, um, are dramatic. Yeah, it's interesting. You you always hear the story of like the old grandpa and previous generations. Like I was at the bar while my my wife was <laughs> yeah. in the delivery room, and yeah. then I got home and I had a baby. Kind of kind of story. Yes, that's right. And it's and it's gone. Like and it's um and thank God it's gone. Like it's like who would not want to be around for the birth of their children? You know. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty special, and it's. It's interesting because I want to, all of these topics, we could go into so many different things, work, life, parenting, the birth of your child, but let's really try to zero in and talk about how these new gender ideas are affecting relationships. And you talk about it in your book, but what is, you mentioned in the pre-show, we we talked about housework a little bit. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a topic that it's it's hard to divide up. We have these Generally, the traditionally, the wife is the one doing the housework, but like we we're talking about, those things are changing. So how do these things manifest themselves in the relationship and become problems? And then how do how can a couple navigate those problems? Okay. The, I mean, the thing that's, that's fascinating about housework is that it really is the place where gender politics uh, shows up in our daily lives. Like it's, it's, it's the part where gender politics arrives at like your relationship and, and how you navigate your way through the relationship. And, and it's also um, like one of the more interesting things about, about housework is that men have not done more housework since the 1980s. So, I mean, think of all the other changes that have come over men's lives in that time. They've tripled the amount of time they spend with their children. They like the amount of time they spend doing cooking, the amount of time they spend, uh, you know, the openness towards women in the workplace has, you know, has more or less been achieved for, for almost all men, but men are not doing more housework. And at the same time, the thing that's really interesting is that, uh, you know, women are disinvesting very quickly. 
from housework. So women of my mother's generation just do what they, what they considered what needs to be done around the house was a much greater set of tasks than what my wife thinks of as what needs to be done about the house. And women are, so the, the ironic thing is we're getting closer to equality in housework, but it's not because of anything men are doing. It's actually because women are, stop, are, are just not caring as much. And, you know, it's, I, I find housework to be actually one of the more um, fascinating intellectual problems that you can deal with. It, it, it's just such an interesting thing because no one really knows what it is. Actually, you know, like they had this, they did this study in Canada where they, you know, usually they think of what housework, they think, you know, what is housework? It's sweeping, it's doing the dishes, it's dusting, it's vacuuming, it's mopping, etc. But then they actually asked women, like, what do you consider housework? And like, praying for the family was, uh, it was like a, it was a chore. Um, calling the relatives back home like that was also considered a part of the housework so you know the thing about housework is that it involves caring and caring is incredibly hard to measure and of course incredibly hard to register as sort of an economic reality even though that's that's what it is that's interesting i wonder sarah what do you consider housework well, I think the things that you just mentioned, like the actual duties of mopping and sweeping and, and doing the laundry. But it's funny when you were saying, you know, explaining that, I had a little giggle to myself that ever since I had Stella, or we had Stella, our daughter, who is now one and a half, I've definitely just kind of, I didn't stop caring. I just didn't put as much of an emphasis on doing those chores, you know, as I did before. So it's... Oh, sure. You've got a one and a half year old. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you, you going to like worry about like whether if you if you worry about whether everything's clean, you're going to kill yourself, oh, you know? totally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. You guys fight about housework? Um, no, no. But it's I think I'm kind of like the weird type where I enjoy cleaning. <laughs> so it's lucky. You. I know. Jeez. Well, not enjoy it, but it's kind of like, you know, I'd rather just do it and get it done than direct chase to do it, if that makes sense. Oh, I, that, that's lucky. I mean, I would say my wife likes to do it more than me, but she, I know she does. But on the other hand, she resents that I don't do it for sure. I mean, you know, like I, I, as you can see in the book, like my wife footnoted the whole of this book and the bulk of the footnotes are about housework. Yeah, it is. It is lucky for me. And, and yeah. but but, you know, I think Sarah's being a little uh, she definitely carries the load, but it is, I think, an issue. It manifests itself in in small things where my in in bringing it back to the relationship and making it work rather than holding resentment against your partner because they're not doing something. You gotta like so many things we talk about. Communicate what it is that is expected and outside of the gender roles because, like you mentioned, it's great that it is not now automatically expected for the most part of a woman like you take care of the house. It's it's more equal, and, and I think that's a great thing, but it doesn't make the problems go away. So my job, more or less, and we've actually communicated about this, is trash, Sarah just mouth trash. And it's really, I mean, I got it easy because she, she does do a lot of the stuff, but it's like trash, dishes, and then just kind of keeping my own mess to a minimum and and then she manages the overall household but if i slack on on the trash or or one of my tasks then 
then she lets me know. And I think that's the key rather than, and then communicating, hey, in, in the right way, not not being snappy, but then it's also shouldn't be something that she has to remind me every every time because then she's going to be resentful and, and it's just going to turn into this big thing. You're describing a very complicated mechanism, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, it, and you guys sound like you've got it pretty worked out. Like, it sounds very easy. I mean, the thing that, like, the research in housework that's also fascinating is, like, its relation, its connection to sex in marriage, which is, and particularly to perform gender roles outside of, of the home. So, I mean, there's this study from Australia, called, where, which identifies the U-curve. So that's, like, as women make more money they do less housework. As they, as they have bigger jobs outside of the house, they, they do less housework. Then, as they make more money, they start to do more housework. And they were trying to figure out why this would be, like why a lawyer would come home, like a partner at a law firm would come home and do all the dishes. Like why would that, why would that be true? And the, thing, and the thing is that the women in more, more traditional male roles, like more, more traditional male jobs, like coal mining, for instance, like they were the ones who actually did more housework. And men who are stay-at-home, men who are stay-at-home dads do less housework than men who aren't stay-at-home dads. And basically, I mean, which is an incredibly messed up thing when you think about it. Like basically, it's, it's the, the reason is that it's gender compensation, which is why I think of... I think of housework as actually the dreariest form of foreplay. Like, because what you're, do- what you're doing is you're restating, like, you live out in the world where gender increasingly means less and less, or it should mean less and less, and women have more and more power, men, like, the, where the, the conflicts of, of gender are played out pretty much in a framework of equality, or a dri- at least a drive towards equality, and then you, uh, and then you arrive home, and the role and the, and the roles that you want to take up are gendered roles, and and that's why I think housework is actually such a fruitful place for examining what's what's actually happening in gender. I think anyone that's listening that that's identifying with that and is like, yeah, why if it's a woman, why am I carrying this load? And they they are I don't want not not a part of the say problem but a part of the the system where they're kind of seems like they're automatically going into those roles so really by listening to this taking a step back and being and say you know what let's re-examine this and let's split this housework uh doesn't necessarily have to be equally but in a way that's that makes sense so if you're like sarah and she, she enjoys it then fine but if sarah was like just doing it because automatic mode and that's what she's quote supposed to do then then really stop pause for a second and be like hey my my partner my husband needs to uh, help me in this area because this is not 1941 anymore yeah i mean like i don't really know what people are supposed i barely i can barely figure out what i'm supposed to do right in my own relationships I, all i know is that there is a trend what i'm and i'm certain of is that when you look at the trend what's happening is that women care less about housework and because of that we're all headed towards like well as i call it like egalitarian squalor like it, it, it is getting women and men are doing closer are getting closer and closer to doing the same amount of housework, but it's not it's it's not because men men have simply not stepped up from this regard at all, you know. And I think to be 
perfectly honest and frank, I think men have stepped up on several other uh, progressive gender issues. But this is one that there's just no, there's no, there hasn't been any movement. And, you know, there hasn't been any movement on it since the 80s. And that's everywhere. That's like the UK, Portugal, Australia, Canada, US, like any advanced economy, there's been basically no movement on it. So, like, I don't know how I think I think this is a subject of deep turbulence in people's relationships. Um, like, I, I hate to generalize because I think like, you know, some like I have architect. I have I have a woman. I know a woman who's married to an architect and he's just an absolute neat freak. And she can like and, and the gender like all, none of this would apply to them because she can't even leave a spoon on the sink without it being like a big deal that he's you know but um but like generally what's happening is that women are caring less about housework men don't care anymore and so our houses get her get dirty but our relationships get better why do you think is there like one specific thing that's causing men to not do more housework and women to do less that you've found it's a reason? real mystery it's a real, I, I, you know, I read all the research. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, you know, like I, I think one, I mean, my, my, my supposition in the book is like men are willing to do things. They're willing to give up the things from the past that felt useless and were awful. Like men want to be in the room when their babies are being born. Men want to take care of children because like, them not to, the, the old way of life where they, you know, disappeared to play golf for three days on the weekend and um, like were, were just just brought money into the into the household. Like that was that was incredibly unappealing, I think, to most men and like was actually unnatural, inorganic. But on the other hand, you know, doing uh, like vacuuming the drapes. <laughs> like may not like men like why would men do that you know there's no there's no win for them in that whereas learning to cook there's a definite win housework is like you know i mean simone de beauvoir in the second sex said like it is the unhealthiest vice is she called housework she said no sane woman would willingly do housework she regarded it as like the pure entrapment of women i mean no offense sarah Oh, it's like, taken. <laughs> yeah, but like, like, so you know, I, I, it's one of those things. Where it's like taking this stuff on. Would, would you? Why would you do that? You want to? You maybe want to lose your own garbage, like lose your own garbage about masculinity, lose the nonsense of the past. But I don't think you want to take on new nonsense. How much do you consider evolutionary biology? Because I'm, I'm. Obviously, this is all of these things cannot be broken down mm-hmm. uh, into a concise thing that is just okay. This is it. You know, we're never going to know a, a complete truth. But to me, like I'm thinking of the the woman's generally more nurturing because they have the baby and they need to raise the baby. And mm-hmm. and I'm tying this in. We can talk about housework like being the home and that they need to to have a, a home to raise the child. And, and so you want your house to be in order. So maybe there's a tendency towards that. And then everything piled on is, you know, can be cultural BS, but underlying everything, there could be a genetic component. And then moving into parenting, I'm, we're finding our daughter and then they're going to have attachment, I think, to either parent at, at different points. But, but, Sarah is is definitely more nurturing than than I am uh in in a way but 
Stella is just attached to her and right foot Sarah fed her for the first eight months of her life. Yeah. And, and uh, she said eight months. 15 months. Breastfed? 15 months, right. Okay, sorry. I undercut it there. I get some credit. Ha- half a year. 15 months is a lot longer than eight months. Yeah. yeah sorry, sorry. But, uh, but yeah, so, so I'm, I'm rambling here a little bit, but how much do you, uh, consider that side of things evolutionarily? I mean, the, thing is, the thing is like, these biological mechanisms are obviously hugely powerful. And obviously when it comes to gender, they are immense. Um, but the, the thing is, when you look at the research, like when you look at the data, it's almost in, always impossible to tell where, you know, your own historical contingency ends and evolutionary biology can begins. Like, I mean, what I mean by, by that, that's an incredibly pretentious way of saying like, there's just no way of telling. Like, you know, until the 50s, you could have argued that it was biological for men not to see the babies being born, right? They'd never done it. Like, they, they, like they, it, there was no example of it in recorded history. And then afterwards, it just seems like the most organic and logical thing in the world. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I think um, the evolutionary the, – the, the, certainly the evolutionary biological attachment to – uh, your children, and I would also say to hygiene, like to cleanliness, don't, don't, neither of those particularly seem to me gendered. I mean, like, they don't seem to me like, like, it, it would seem to me like if you're in, if you're a caveman and you're fighting off infection <laughs> from being bitten by a saber tooth tiger, um, like a clean home matters if you're a man or not. So, like, the thing is, these evolutionary drives, like, they seem to explain everything, but then when you actually get down to cases, like, you know, there's a famous article about, like, the, fa- the famous idea of the nurturing mother, like, the, um, like, that women are, like, naturally predisposed to, like, there are, his- there are many periods in history, notably, like, 18th century France, and there was a, a couple of cases in ancient Greece, and per- where, where it was considered totally bizarre to have women take care of their own babies. No woman with any resources at all would suckle her own children. You gave the children to professionals because you would never want to breastfeed your own children. So like, you know, the, the idea that I, I think when you look at the specifics of the case, like it's actually social pressures that shape a huge amount of this and, 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 and certainly identifying like where, where the social reality ends and where the biology begins almost impossible and and that's i think you summed it up great yeah it is it's it's almost impossible but it's it's interesting to consider and you can almost make an argument for either side based on evolutionary facts like you said in the 50s you could say the man wasn't supposed to be there because we never were and we had to be you know, out protecting the, the, exactly. uh, the band and, and, and now it's, it's normal. And we could say, well, the man needs to be there to pre- protect his genes exactly. and, and be there present. Um, right. Like the, you could use the argument either way. So it just seems totally ineffective to me. Right. And, you know, I mean, there are certain things that are pretty clear. Like when you look at gender difference itself, like even identifying what is male and what is female, like what tra- traits are there? There's a huge, huge disagreement on, on how that works because like some, some scientists say that there's some researchers say that if you look at the meta studies, it's all on a scale. 
like even things like um, like shopping, like or physical strength like that. Like there, it's just averages. It's not like there's not one thing that you can define as masculine or feminine. And then on the other hand, like there are bio, there are neurological researchers who say like the brains work differently. You know, and, and, and so it's like I, I think it's actually it's not really helpful to th- to think through these problems in that light because they just don't it just doesn't shed much light on the on the um, on on anything that you actually want to talk about. You know, like it doesn't shed any light on housework. It doesn't shed any light on like on, on even on like even on things like like who should be around at the birth. You know what I mean? Like it just there's just no there, it just isn't very insightful. Yeah, I'm I'm by no means an evolutionary biologist, but I did study anthropology, and so I think looking at it that way is interesting. But also culturally, and and just talking right here, it's the the evolutionary uh, timeline is is so long, right, for something yeah. to make a change. Whereas culturally, look, we're just talking about the '50s, and a little over 50 years later, what they did in the '50s seems like alien to us, and it just yeah. shows how how culture really shapes evolution you know now what's actually going on genet- on a genetic level we don't know but we know sitting here talking that a man is now it's perfectly normal to be present at the birth and so yeah. that influences something and and i think maybe now because information is so widely available and distributed through something like your book that something gets out there and then a guy we see it in the movies and now men are doing the work at the house and and you just see that and it's it's unconscious but it's but it's there and and hopefully it's moving us in in a positive direction and i think it is i mean to me the, the driving force here is economics i mean and and, and the sim- like and there are two re- like the trend for uh for hundred years. Like part of the industrial revolution is that women make more money. Like you cannot be an advanced economy. Like there are no advanced economies without women in them. And in all of those advanced economies, if you look at the trend, it's women, women's labor participation rate rises every year in every advanced economy. Um, the wage gap is closing. I mean, slowly, but it is closing in almost every major U.S. economy, the U- major um, OECD e- economy. I mean, America is an exception because of its bizarre laws around um, paternity leave and its healthcare problems. But like, so, you know, the, like, so there is a slight distinction there, but like the, the 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 rise of women to the dominance of the middle class i mean even in america women are 40% of breadwinners now right and f- and as women make more money like you can actually see in the statistics like as they make more money um violence against women declines sexual assault declines like w- w- women's financial power translates directly into political power and into personal power and to me, that is the trend that we're all trying to play catch up with. We're all trying to figure out what it, what that, I mean, you know, what that means and, and how, and how to negotiate with it. And I think we're doing a really bad job. You know, like we're doing, like we are not being, um, we're, we're not, like we are responding with a great deal of turbulence and we're responding with, uh, a great deal of, anger and outrage and we've described this process as the battle of the sexes when in fact like what it is is like 
the sexes actually figuring out who they are and having e- trying to have equal relationships in their house in their households. And I, I think, you know, because of that, like that to me is the change that we're undergoing. And that's why it's so rapid, because the economic change is just it's it's ongoing. It doesn't matter who is in power. It doesn't matter who is president of the United States or not. The, that trend of women making more money in the middle class um, is built into capitalism and everything flows from that, basically. So tying this in, there's so many different angles that your book takes, and that's what I like about it, and it's all really interesting. How can we boil this down? What did you learn that most positively affected your relationship, like that, or that you would tell people through all this, the lens of gender norms and, and things becoming more equal? How can someone look at that information and apply it to a relationship to make it better? Well, I mean, to me, I think what we have to understand is that we're all in the middle of a great transition and that transition is very turbulent and very difficult, but it's also very hopeful. And, you know, what I believe in companionate marriage, I mean, that that is what like that this book is about the rise of companionate marriage in advanced in, industrial economies and i would just say like don't take that for granted like that is not a that that feels like the most normal thing in the world but it's it's not actually like being equal partners in a relationship um involves like a certain it involves an immense amount of luck but it also involves like the the negotiation of uh, a great deal of traditional norms and and abandoning them, and like particularly for men, you know, um, you are the second man I have talked to about this book, and I've done maybe forty interviews so far. What like, men, men are not talking about this stuff. Like men do not talk about gender. They don't. They just. They just don't. They just don't. They just will not deal with it. And like men, men are in a real problem. Like men are in a real state, mainly because we're just refusing to deal with, um, with the reality of our changing gender norms. And, and, and it definitely is torturing our relationships. And I think, I think men have a lot of catch up to do with women on this, maybe 50 years work. It's 50 years worth of work. And like, let's start now is my feeling. I agree. And that's pretty interesting. And I I think, obviously, depending on how you're raised, I think my mom definitely did a, a good job of making me understand that, that there weren't necessarily gender roles. And, and so I'm, I have a different lens, as does everyone. But that is interesting that you've, you've had uh, close to 40 and only two have been men. And I, I like, you talk about in your book about uh, the male sort of project that we have to work on and, and friendships and how even mm. talking about friendships on a, a level outside of uh, sports and, and yeah. maybe autom- automobiles. It's, yeah. it's, and I think that that's also popular culture because there are obviously Definitely. people that men that, that have uh more than that going on, but if that's if that's the common thing that 
that you're seeing talking about capitalism driving it you, know, you see in the commercials you see in in the movies and print and everything that's what's being pushed about the the man but that's what also gives me hope about not just the the male experience but the gender norms is that because there is so much information and it's all getting pumped out there and influencing culture if we can be smart about it and say hey this is not the male experience or not the way it should be in, in slowly change that, then it can potentially change pretty fast through the, through the dissemination of, of that information. Well, yeah, except that the president of the United States is Donald Trump. Who's like, who's <laughs> like a, who's like, like a parody of masculinity, right? Yes. I mean, like despite like whatever his politics, like, which I think are very unclear what his politics are. Like this is a man who cannot shake hands, right? Like, like the stuff that you're taught as a, kid by other men like how to tie a tie like he can't tie a tie he tapes his ties to the back of him and you know never mind the treatment of women right which is of course like totally uh, i mean imagine imagine i have a i have an 11 year old son <laughs> like his his experience of politics is barack obama and donald trump i mean what a confusing world it must be yes <laughs> like like what like like I was trying to think like who that was when I when my agent was like it was Reagan and and George W. Bush it was like totally stable like anyway I I think we're, this is what I mean when I say we're doing a bad job like and and then it is particularly to men that that are that we're doing a bad job like we were like the way men talk about gender is like the red pill and. I, you can either do that or you can call yourself a feminist, which isn't very useful because feminism is mostly about women's issues, right? Like, you know, and so like male friendship, we're dying from that. Like the Case Deaton mortality report said that mortality among middle-aged white men was a mortality crisis on, on the scale of the 1980s AIDS crisis, right? Men are dying from loneliness, I mean, they're dying from opioids and they're dying from alcohol and they're dying from uh, suicide. But what they're really dying for is they have no friends. And, and so, like, this is not just about feelings, right? This is not actually – this is not This is not some, like, uh, men, like, why can't they you, – you've got to learn to grow up. It's like actually the, the, the cultural state that we're in is unbelievably toxic and unhealthy. And it is it is culturally driven, as you say. I mean, like in popular culture, men grow out of their friendships. Like they 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 grow out of their friendships and they're into the icons of loneliness that have defined masculinity forever, which are the, the cowboy, the the astronaut, the the lonely guy who goes out and makes a living and comes home to his family, right? And doesn't care about anyone else. Like, and these, and that is, men are social animals. You want to talk about evolutionary biology? Men are social animals every bit as much as women. Our brains are like, they're built for recognizing human emotions. They're not built for math. They're built for that. And so if you take society away from men, they suffer. Yeah, it's definitely, it's kind of sobering, all those things you mentioned and with the mortality rate. And and I think it is, it's important to be aware of. It certainly doesn't help with the current state of affairs in, in the media and politics. But you... I would love it <laughs> if men could just be a little more aware. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying go out and do all the research. I'm just saying like, you know, if you, you have to work at keeping your friendships because if you don't, you're going to hit 45 and you're going to be totally alone and you're going to hit the bottle. 
like the, like make an effort to deal your friendships like and and all that like you know the and all this this horrifying report from the New York Times about how men won't take women's jobs like that's just a recipe for male suicide like if you're not gonna, if you're if men are growing up unwilling to be nurses like we're doomed yeah. <laughs> like we're we're in real trouble like because those are the jobs that's a future right like that that, that like if your choice is between that and sitting in your basement Playing Doom, like playing whatever, playing Doom. I really dated myself there. Halo Four, obviously, but like, uh, like you know, that th- th- that's a terrible choice to have to make, really. Yeah, and I think just before we go to the lasting love round, I think that that's a great point. And then, so to any, we have a lot of female listeners, so mm-hmm. they can really encourage their partner, their their husband, their boyfriend to encourage them to reach out to their friends don't say hey uh no you know it it can be easy to to say it's all about me and us and that's important but your husband your boyfriend's not going to be a very good partner if they're not nurturing those relationships so definitely and that goes for both sides too the men should encourage that um yeah but i mean women don't women are, are smarter Women yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Women like women are. This is what I mean by we're playing catch up. Like women have known this stuff forever. Like it, like they they've known this stuff for at least seventy years, right? Like so it's it, that that's what I mean when we're. I actually wrote a piece for the New York Post where it was like a letter begging American women to cut out. Like I just had three very basic points for men that they could share with their husbands or or, or whoever, like any young man in their lives, like because like reaching these men is is basically impossible to me. Like I, I, I mean, I guess I, it's not like I, but I know when I know is doing it other, you know, it's not just my failure. Like no one else is getting to them either. So like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm on book tour, so I should say buy the book and then buy a copy for some boy in your life. But like, uh, like I, I think that's really important actually. No, it's super important. And, and yeah, if we don't get it directly to the men, that's why we're putting that word out to all the, all the women listening. And, and like I said, I think a big part of our audience is, is women, but they can, they can communicate with their partners and it's going to help. It's going to help their partner. It's going to help their relationship. Yeah, I think it will. Well, Stephen, this is all great information. Now we got to move forward to the lasting love round. But first, we want to tell you a little about our sponsor, Talkspace. Almost every guest we've had on the show has recommended talking with the therapist as one of the most effective ways to improve yourself and your relationship. And that's why we're excited to tell you more about Talkspace. If you've ever thought about going to therapy, but found it too inconvenient, too expensive, or just too embarrassing to make it into an office, then give Talkspace a try. Talkspace is an online therapy company, and they make it easy to connect to a licensed therapist handpicked just for you for as little as $32 a week. Talkspace allows you to text, audio, and video message your therapist as much as you want. Your Talkspace therapist can listen to you vent about work or family, explore your relationship, and help put you on the path to a happier life. To sign up or to learn more, go to Talkspace.com forward slash I do. That's one word, I-D-O. And as a special offer for our listeners, you can use coupon code I do to get $30 off your first month and to show your support for this podcast. That's I do and Talkspace.com forward slash I do. 
Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. Well, keeping on topic with, I think, housework, um, what is one tool or practice our listeners can use on a daily basis to improve their relationship when it comes to dealing with housework? It's a very tough one. It's a very tough piece of advice um, because it sounds so disingenuous and it sounds so wrong. But the, the, the key to happiness is to care less. Like that's the that's what the research shows is that trying to get to a state where you feel happy with how much your partner is doing either way is actually there's there's that just does not happen. Like it just it hasn't happened in 30 years now and more. So I would say that the my the I I and I I understand how hard this be. This is not easy advice. This is not like a, a quick, a, a quick solution, but like actually not caring is the key to happiness. <laughs> and when, when you say that and explain it, I kind of think of what I've heard before. And I kind of, I can identify with a lot is when your expectations don't meet reality is when you're most disappointed and most unhappy. So if you're yeah. caring less, you're, you're not, so tied to those expectations and and it, it kind of seems like it's along the same vein well one of the things that's interesting is that because of the nature of housework because it's care work because like what you're what you're doing is caring for the environment you're inevitably going to be disappointed like it doesn't matter you can draw as many contracts as you want you can hire people to do you can none of these problems go away when you say get a dishwasher or get a cleaning lady like the research doesn't show any of that like because the the battle is not about like tasks it's about who cares about what and so the only the only way to really escape that thing is just not is just to dis, to disinvest to care less and I mean, and the good news is we're all doing it. We care less all the time, but you know, that is the only seemingly the only path to happiness. Is there a book or resource you could recommend for listeners who want to improve their relationship? Well, uh, my own book, <laughs> the, the unmade bed. I, I don't know. Most of the stuff I dealt with was pretty, um, academic sociology. Like, and, and uh, like I, I thought Anne-Marie Slaughter's Unfinished Business was pretty fantastic, but it was more about work than it was about um, – about, but I, it was about work, work and life together. I found that pretty helpful. Great. Well, your book will be on our show notes page on idopodcast.com. Great. We've been married for two years now. Is there any advice you'd give newlyweds? Newlyweds? Wow. You got the little kid too, right? You got a year and a half? Yeah. Yep. How long are you going to take between kids? Uh, hundred years. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would just say we took six years between kids, and everyone thinks that's crazy. I, I wanted ton. I like it. It wasn't really my choice. Like it was because my wife had a big job, so she she didn't she wanted to wait. Um, if it were up to me, we'd have like ten kids. But um, but like. There's nothing wrong with wait. I I really like the gap. I have to say. Everyone thinks it's kind of crazy, but it's 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 the you know it spaces out how much money you need, you know, and and that that can be pretty handy. Totally, no, I feel like there's so much pressure to have you know if you want two kids, have them close together. But yeah. 
Um, we're definitely enjoying not having or just having one right now. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, you're almost out of the woods, like year and a half, like, you know, it's almost like, it's only another about six to nine months before you almost have a semblance of a life back. All right. right? I'm going to, I'm going to hold you to that. No, it's, (laughs) it, it gets way better. I mean, after two years, things get like, then you're in hell now. I mean, you know, <laughs> like, it's like you're like, it's like you're dragging, you're dragging, you're being dragged around by this little monster. Like, yeah, it's, it, I found it that way anyway. Sleeplessness, all that stuff. But like, it, it's just, um, yeah, one, like two years, things start to straighten out. It gets way better. What advice would you give our single listeners looking for a happy relationship? My advice for single people is probably useless since I haven't been single for a long time and it seems really hard out there. Like it does seem like tough. I mean, be lucky. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only real advice I have. Like find someone that you love. Um, find someone that you can, that you can build, build a life with. That's so pathetic, isn't it? I really don't have any advice for single people. That's all right. I mean, it's like, you create your own luck, so create. I would definitely say, like, do not underestimate the need to be in love with people. I think that, I, I, like, I just think you, you, the old ridiculous romantic notions of love are absolutely correct. Yeah, and, and do you say that because uh, when I hear that, I think that. It's gonna if you're truly in love, it's gonna help you navigate all the rough spots because those definitely will come up. Well, I think it's more like if you're not in love, what's the point? Right. <laughs> like, there's a lot of like tough stuff here, right? Like, even if things go great, like even if you get like a healthy kid, right? Or like you know, if everything goes perfect, like you know, it's still pretty tough. So you know, if you're not I feel like when I read some of these like relationship guides to things, they talk about like you know, you know, all that stuff is important, I guess. But like you know, it, it it's dumb love, like stupid, stupid love is you can't without it. What's the what's what's the point? Like you know, there's no there's no, and I I think I really believe I don't know that you you either know what you have that or don't. But maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just lucky. No, it's a good thing. I, I would say we're lucky too. So that's awesome. Well, Stephen, we've really enjoyed hearing all the advice you've given us and our listeners today. So let's finish by having you tell our listeners where they can find you, and then we'll say goodbye. Great. Um, you can find me at uh, www.stephenmarsh.com, or that's M A R C H E, and Stephen with a P H. Or you can. Find me on Twitter at Stephen Marsh. Again, Stephen with a PH, M A R C H E. Or you can email me if you want at stephenmarsh at gmail.com. Our listeners can find all the information and links to today's episode on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab and you'll be in the archives. And again, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. If you haven't done so already, head on over to our website, idopodcast.com to check out this episode's show notes and to sign up for our newsletter. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.